So you're going to go to the Cowboys Dolphins game? Yes. Yeah. On, on the, Christmas Eve. On Christmas. Actually, what I'm doing is this is this is horrid, but uh, I am going to relocate to Miami or to the to the Fort Lauderdale area for a month because uh-huh. the Dolphins schedule just happens to have all the home games in December. So instead of flying back and forth, I'm just going to stay and I'll just work from down there and, and do that thing. Uh-huh. And, and then and then I was going to come home on Christmas Day. But if you have Dolphin season tickets, they offer you other things. And the Orange Bowl is the next week, so I'm going to stay for the Orange Bowl. So we'll see who's playing in that. It'll be fun. Well, as a Cowboys fan, we know for a fact we're going to kick your butt. But okay. as a Cowboys realist, I hope y'all don't beat us by 70. Well, that's, I, was, <laughs> I, I took a buddy of mine that was a Broncos fan, and I will be honest All with you. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, hey, and welcome in to Vision Pros Live, everybody. I've got Dave Nordell. Dave I made an amateur mistake. I'm going to pull you to the background real quick so I can do a proper introduction for you. Um, so uh, I, I'm learning to run this studio by myself without my, my trusty sidekick, Jaime. We're getting Cynthia trained up as well on, on helping me. And it's her first moment to help out. And so she's she's learning and mirroring what I do. Hopefully, I can make this great for all of you guys, Vision Pros. So I am the founder and CEO of First Class Business, show host for Vision Pros. And I'm excited to introduce a couple of sponsors. I'm going to be quick about the sponsors today because um, we've got a subject that uh, it's just it's so important. It's so relevant for communities, for children, as you see. We're going to be talking today about his vision of safety in schools in our community. Um, but real quick first, IconMakerLive.com. Um, I wouldn't share this if it didn't matter, if it wasn't something that was a great resource, especially for those who are just getting started in the process of either wanting to launch a podcast or also wanting to build a seven-figure business. Um, Tom, Cheryl, Danella all have tremendous experience in business. Uh, They've been around the block for a long time. Um, I highly recommend uh, working with learning from people who have um, several decades of experience in business. Um, I'm constantly looking for more and more mentors like that. It takes a tribe to raise a child. It also takes a tribe and a great tribe to coach and train an entrepreneur on how how to win and how to build. So I recommend checking out ICanMakerLive.com. They've got their next conference coming up in March. But of course, in between now and then, you have plenty of time um, to be able to get help, reach out to them, and see what they can do for you. CapShow.com, C-A-P-S-H-O, C-A-P-S-H-O.com is the number one ranked copywriting AI system for uh, as ranked by DigitalMarketer.com. We use this for our show notes. Um, and what you do is you upload a couple of video or audio clips to cap show they even give you a free trial to do this and then you just i just say upload the clips and then click as fast as you can on all the ai generating options because they are they come with a package and so you're going to get your linkedin content your twitter facebook um instagram uh your blog articles all the content that takes so long to produce and even though you've already talked about the subject like you can still sit there and say well now how do i write about it don't worry about it let the ai do it then go back after you've clicked on everything, you've made your sound bites, you've pulled uh, important promotional clips from the from the system. Then you can go back and read it. And now all you have to do is edit it and then share it um, if you like what you see. Um, so I recommend checking that out. And then lastly, the water project. If you have the opportunity to give back, if you're in a position to give even just a dollar, 
We're talking about bringing filtered water, good, clean drinking water to villages in Africa that do not have access to. And we're also talking about a program that transparently shows you where, where every dollar goes. Um, you get to see the transformation of the community. You get to see what it looks like beforehand. You get to see the social proof afterwards of them having built their own sand dam or them having built these borehole wells that they build. Um, you get to see how many community members are affected by it and how much is being raised. But one of the coolest things is being able to see pictures like this one that's on your screen right now where they're celebrating the water that they now have. Um, and just imagine the impact that, that makes when, what if it was your children? And they had to, instead of going to school, uh, walk several miles to go get wild, could go get water that wasn't even clean or safe and bring it back to the community just so that people could survive. This is a life changing impact. Um, and so while you don't get to physically be there and see it happen, you get to know that you were part of the process of helping out. And if you have something else that you'd rather donate to, that's fine. Do that. And feel free to share the link in the comments and encourage others to give back as well. So I'm going to share um, my thank you, Cynthia, by the way. She did an excellent job of showcasing those. It's hard to do while we're running a show. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share Dave's background because it's extensive, it's important, and there's a lot of reasons why his topic is near and dear to his heart. So as the founder of MaxFab Consulting, Dave is a retired United States Air Force Command Chief Master Sergeant with over 30 years of service. He holds a bachelor's degree in registered nursing, specializing in emergency medicine and a master's degree in disaster and emergency management. Dave's a Bronze Star Combat Decorated Medic and the recipient of the Legion of Merit, our nation's sixth highest military decoration. He operated in Saudi Arabia, Somalia, South America, Iraq, Korea, Japan, and Hungary. Dave grew up in rural North Carolina in a dairy far farming family. Dave left home at 19 to join the Air Force and ascended through the enlisted ranks to culminate as a senior enlisted leader for all nuclear missile forces in the United States. He has a vast experience leading small groups and large organizations, has led city government activities and large organizations as an emergency manager for multiple communities through COVID and other disaster situations. He's the author of the international best-selling book, Giving Back, Life and Leadership, From the Farm to the combat zone and beyond. Dave is the founder and owner of MaxFab Consulting, providing keynote leadership, organizational growth, and strategic guidance. And he is actively involved in using his journey with PTSD to help transitioning veterans and other victims of trauma deal with the condition in a healthy manner. He's an active mentor and speaks to young leaders to aid their development and future successes. And he continues to give back the gifts he has collected along the way. Now, one of the other things that I want to mention is all that background in emergency and disaster. Um, you know, we, what we're going to talk about today is an extremely sensitive subject. And we want to talk about it with as much reverence and respect as possible. There's also going to be some passion that comes out of both of us in relation to this because we believe and know that we can do more. Our best requires that we look at life from the scope of what else can we do. And one of the challenges that we face is as... Um, the internet has certain censorship. Uh, and I think people try to do that with the best of intentions, but this subject should not ultimately be censored, but we're going to be avoiding certain words to make sure that as we talk about the, the horrendous acts of violence that can occur on school campuses um, and the, the scary and dangerous situations that can come up, we, we don't want this message to get blocked. Um, so we're going to do our best to make sure to curate down. But if you have kids that are in school, um, you know, or you have community influence, then I highly recommend tuning in 
and uh, making sure to listen to what Dave has to say. And Dave, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and for sharing your vision with us. You bet. You get a gold star for reading all of that. I appreciate that. That's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, Jackson, we're gonna we're gonna probably jump jump right into this. And and you know, disaster management is an odd beast because we spend a lot of time to I to, the tyranny of being a disaster manager is you have to compel people to be uh, you know, the five facets of disaster management are plan, mitigate, and prepare. And then the, the, the second two are respond and recover. And the goal is to do the first three so well that you never have to do the second two. And you need to be ready to do the second two. Mm -hmm. And I think where I think where we're going to go with this is as we dissect uh, these these um, these occurrences in schools, when you walk them back, we get very reactionary and very emotional and very proactive only in a postmortem state. And when I say postmortem, I mean postmortem of the event, whatever the event is, even if it's just a scare. Uh, and and so you get you get reactionary to that, and then you have this call to action, and school boards come together, and parents come together, and, and money starts to flow through communities mm -hmm. and those type of things. And a guy like me, when he walks in, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately on the on the on the on the on the post side of this, you walk in and you go, remember when we talked about this plan, prepare, and mitigate thing, and for some reason something overrode it or overprioritized these things. And we decided to take risk and not do that. And so I'm kind of reverse engineering that, but I mean, for, for the discussion, this is where um, people in my profession and people that are really passionate about not wanting this to happen at all, ever try to give guidance in this, in this fashion. And, and unfortunately, you know, money drives almost everything and people decide to take certain risk. And at times, I think we're, we're uh, um, penny wise and pound foolish. Hmm. I got you on that. That makes sense. Um, I mean, anytime we're in a situation where our emotions get tampered with um, and naturally when loss has been experienced and, and grief has entered the picture and, and trauma um, you know, has occurred, uh, we, we aren't going to be in our best mindset. Um, you know, we, we are going to have a very hard time um thinking emotionally as well as thinking logically um because everything's just so intense around us we're also not used to being in that situation um so being being aware up front that the plan prepare um and, and mitigate um we, you know is important was important um but also having an having an outsider come in you know somebody who uh, of mm -hmm. course they feel it i mean it's it's human life we're talking about um but bringing somebody in who is not as close to the picture. It's kind of like bringing in a marriage counselor when you're mm -hmm. facing the reality of a divorce or an intermediary when you're trying to navigate that divorce. It's somebody who can still feel the pain uh, of the reality of what's going on, but they're, they're a little bit more centered in the, in the logic and the emotion. Um, so real quick, before we go, go too much further, though, I define sure. part of the audience, but I'd like to know from your perspective, Dave, um, who, who should be listening in today? Why should they listen to you specifically? I, we, we heard your accolades. We heard sure. what you've done. We know the the on paper version. Um, sure. Right. But I'd love to hear that in your own words. Why, why should they be listening to you and what are they going to get out of today's show, do you think? Sure. Um, you know, the people that should be listening is anybody that is, is truly involved in their community. I mean, when they go outside, if, you know, if there's too much traffic or they think there needs to be more walking space or they have kids in school or they don't have kids in school or they live near a school, those types of, I mean, this is, these are, 
these are people, anybody that has any any emotion towards improving their community, improving their space, and and they truly value safety, which is you know on the on the you know the entry level hierarchy of needs as human beings, they truly they truly uh, have a passion for safety and community safety. They should they should hear this out because some of the things that lead to what we're going to talk about are also outside in the community long before they ever get into a school or any place else. So those are the type of people that should be listening. And quite frankly, that should be the majority of people that live in any community. Uh, you know, why should, why should they listen to me? I, I have been involved in a lot of that plan, prepare, mitigate, and I've been involved in a lot of the response and, and recovery things. And I will tell you, Jackson, far too often, uh, and I, you know, and I've written about some of this stuff. I far too often, we sit in rooms and we go, "Gosh, I wish we should have." Mm -hmm. And the reason, you know, the the person that that I feel has the most subject matter expertise is usually the guy with a scar on his face. You know, the the figurative scar on his face, the one that's kind of been through that and felt the pain. And I've been on the negative side of this, where where you know, I've sat in rooms, and most recently in my community here. You know, we had an intersection that we knew was dangerous and we decided to take risk at that intersection uh, to the tune of a $200,000 stoplight that needed to be put there. And unfortunately, two years ago, we had a 16 year old girl that had her driver's license for two weeks get killed there. And now there's a beautiful stoplight at the intersection. And this is the type of thing. And um. and and. Quite frankly, I've stood in front of my city government and used this example time and time again uh, as a call to action for for um, more things on the front end. So that you know, it's that's painful. I mean, I I take that personally. I'm a, I'm an emergency room nurse. I know what the back end of this looks like when you don't get it right on the front end and it's not pretty. And then what are we going to get out of the show today? I hope some people take some notes and understand how individually they can actually affect the things that we're going to talk about and to affect real change. Because people think that, well, it's too big for me or government's too big or money's limited or I don't fully understand the process. And you would be surprised in the things, you know, the direction that we're going to go with the subject that we're going to talk about. You'd be surprised how one or two people, if they do their proper homework, starting with today, if they do their proper homework and they really have their stuff together. If they present in the right way, they can be extremely compelling to change people's minds, regardless of the politics, regardless of the finances. Uh, so, uh, there's a call to action. Wow. I'm, I'm going to circle back regarding the traffic light because I have a, I have a turnaround on a highway that is right before a massive hill, um, uh, where you can't see. And they're coming down that, that road, 80, 90 miles per hour. Cause it's right outside the city. And that's a turnaround we have to take, um, to fight traffic, to get back towards the city. And I have no idea what to do. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hear that because it's, that's very close to home for me um, in a very real way. So um, uh, interesting. The, the, uh, let's go into what your vision is for those that you serve um, in 30 seconds and we'll expand beyond it. So we know it's about safety. We know it's about being able to take action now. Um, and let's, let's dive in uh, just one more time on that. So um, what are you hoping to help these individuals that you serve accomplish? Well, I want them to have a, uh, a strategy. Far too often, things are kind of, uh, I'll use a word that's common to me, nilly-willy, right? And it's kind of a pickup game. And really what I want people to do is, is in, their, in their large priorities of, of things as they move forward to address things, I want them to have a strategy. And when you can get people to take the next step that say, that, to have them say, this is online with, 
with all of the other things that we find important and add it in at that level of importance and give it that same amount of, of, of due diligence. Once you have a strategy, then you're always moving forward to, to, to keep your eye on the ball and not miss those, those subtleties that, you know, like your turnaround, that has been there forever and people just take it for granted until they have the big collision. Okay. I'm also going to dive into what um, school administrators could do because who knows who who's listening to this and who's connected to who. Um, but if they get the chance to at least hear another perspective, it could help them mm. understand that they have options um, when it mm. comes to exploring how to how to prepare, how to plan, how to mitigate, and how to deal with these types of situations. It could just be helpful to have your name, um, you know, in their hands, for instance. Sure. Um, before I do that, to make matters a little bit light, um, you talked about strategy. So when I think of strategy and safety, the first thing that came to mind was was a meme that I saw that said. Um, that we were taught so well to stop, drop, and roll, we thought we'd for sure be on fire more often in life. Um, <laughs> I was like, right. that's serious. Um, so that stop, drop, and roll, though, that that's a strategy, right? It's a strategy for for uh, teaching children, and you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, um, but it is a strategy. It's a it's an action plan mm -hmm. that you can do, uh, you know, if you if you are on fire, and uh, it, it, you know, it's it's nice when that strategy is something that's instantly triggered in your brain to take action in the moment that you need it. Um, and so we're we're hoping to get people close enough to that reality, the administrators, the people in charge, the people with situations that, that, that they can take the immediate action. But I, I also like this traffic light aspect because we're talking about strategy for affecting a long term change, but doing so um, on a shorter timeline because you actually know what to do to, to raise the concern rather than just ranting about it on Facebook where the right people probably won't see that. Right. Um, all right. So let's, let's go school administration side first. Um, sure. This is for a, for a loved one actually um, sure. who might be able to make, make some impact with this. I'm curious what, what's currently um, not being done that can be done. And, and, uh, you know, like without pointing fingers, of course, but, sure. uh, and what, what actions could they be taking to make sure that, you know, the school has confidence that they're doing the right things to plan, prepare, mitigate. Sure. And I missed phase two and three. It was pretty fast, but uh, walk us through that again. Yeah. Phase two or phase uh, four and five are respond and recover. Right. And yeah. so actually your meme is a great segue to where, to where we're at because right. Everything is resource driven, right? It's, and you have resource constraints and time is a resource that we can't get more of, right? We've got 24 hours in a day. I'm gonna and preface one other thing, Dave. I should have sure. said this. You're okay. um, there was somebody who brought a gun to school and I, yeah. I shouldn't have said that word, um, yeah. but there was, a, there was an active concern at a campus that um, some of my nephews and nieces were at. Sure. And um, I learned that they were then you know, they were, they were worried about going back to school. Um, sure. you know, they were worried about what, what could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I never really had to face that fear, um, growing up. Right. Um, and so again, there's, there's a long-term, there's difficult effects, there's, there's trauma and stress associated. And these are kids who love school. Um, you know, not right. kids who, who don't, um, and who are looking for an excuse to get out. I don't think, um, and I'm gonna give my, my nephew and nieces the benefit of the doubt on that, but, 
those are those are concerns. Those are things that that we mm-hmm. should be preparing for and helping people overcome. You know, mm-hmm. even though in this circumstance, there, there they thank God there was no um, no disaster that right. occurred. Um, but again, I'm just going to frame that a little bit because yeah. I think I don't I think a lot of adults um, may not be aware of what children are thinking about when they see the news so often of right. situations, uh, violent situations, scary situations that could come to pass where, where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also something to deal with. Right. So now go ahead, Dave. Boy, no, no, there's no there's there's a pile there to unpack. Here's how here's how this here's how the school superintendent wins. And here's how the the whole institution of a community and children win, even in that bad situation. First, and you already alluded to this, is you have got to invest the time to instill muscle memory. We talked a little bit about football when we started this. I mean, you can't just create a new play and run it and expect it to work. You got to run it over and over and over again before you do it in the game. And far too often we trade that off. So for your for you for you to survive the immediacy of the incident, right? Physically have everybody okay. You have to have things that the muscle memory down. And institutions that have gone through this and have been successful, it's because of that muscle memory. The teachers, the, the students, all of that type of thing. So you have to make a commitment to that. But you also have to make a commitment to you to strategically going through if this goes really bad, you know, say say that, say your your nation's and nephew's scenario plays out in a really poor way. If this goes really bad, what do we do? Because it doesn't stop right there. You just don't shift to going to to you know post events that are not fun to be at. You have to decide how you're going to get the community back on its feet. And quite frankly, children and families are the foundation to the community. And as soon as you don't feel safe or stable in your community, then you start making decisions differently. So how do you recover? And there is things that you can already have in place to immediately do things, which and you already talked about this, which is bringing in the right people from the outside that are a little lower on the emotional scale that can start interacting with those kids and start the reassurance piece of it. And that really what that is, it's a counseling thing. It's a it's a it's a crisis uh, uh, incident you know management team that comes in, does the preliminary things, pulls the groups together, lets people kind of vocalize how they're feeling, and then does the follow up with that. It's not a, it's not an overnight thing, but if you have that in your plan and in your process, and you've actually practiced it, you can do it. You've actually practiced right. it. Then then when a guy like me is sitting there and something happens, you run through these things instead of trying to to you know uh, build the airplane while you're flying it. So here's your phenomenon. So if you want to win as a school superintendent, you really need to shift your priorities to muscle memory and process because process will save you on the day. And then you have to fight for feedback. You have to get the appropriate data and then you have to shift to that data to handle each and every piece because really what it's going to get down to is some people will recover faster. Some individuals will be will have uh, longer term effects, and you have to stay engaged with those people because that's how you get the confidence back in the community. So far too often, I I see school superintendents who are really trying to do the right thing, but they won't go outside the walls of the institution. They want to try to solve all the problems within the school or the system or the district. Go to your city government and tell them what you want to do, your law enforcement, your fire, all of those people, and tell them what you want to do and how you want it shaped and tell them that you want help and then make them help you build the muscle memory and the recovery plan at the same time. Because you you know as well as I do, no matter how well we do this, things are going to happen. 
And the only way to recover as a community and get back on your feet is to have an appropriate recovery plan and good muscle memory on the front end. Yes. One of my, one of my favorite industries to draw examples from is the sports industry. And here's why. One, they're constantly, they track their records. They track their performance and their metrics better than almost any system in the world, um, which leads to greater performance, world records being broken over and over again, right? There's something to the system that makes a lot of sense and that makes a lot of great uh, results happen, okay? Uh, Joe Burrow is dealing with a calf injury right now. He's quarterback, dealing with calf injuries, trying to play through it, and he's got a medical staff, uh, one of the best in the world, right? He's got an organization internally, people who can help him on what he's doing. And what's he doing? He calls Aaron Rodgers from the New York Jets, who's dealt with calf injuries, to find out what did you do? How did you do it? What are you up to? What things have helped? What things haven't? It doesn't matter. I know, I know exactly what they're doing with that because I do the same thing and I see great leaders do this all the time. They're constantly looking for people who can relate to them outside of the scope. It doesn't matter if they're enemies, if they're competitors. That mm -hmm. does not matter when it comes to preparedness. You also see the military do this, where they do military oh, yeah. drills with other countries, mm -hmm. right? Exchanging ideas, exchanging how strategies implemented. Um, so when we when we pull a bubble around us, right, and, and exclude those outside perspectives, we create a dangerous precedence um, for isolating um, around a very limited set of truths um, versus collaborating um, with people who can, who can challenge the status quo a little bit, who can make sure we're thinking at higher levels, who can make sure we don't accidentally overlook, especially, especially when it comes to uh, an expert, because that type of crisis management, um, that does not come together by chance. Um, when it comes together well, it comes together because of great preparation, great execution. Mm -hmm. I've seen that in dealing with crisis cleanup of, of floods um, and helping people's houses recover and going with church organizations to help out. Um, when we use systems mm -hmm. of organization, that goes really well. When you don't, you've got a whole lot of chaos um, right. on your hands. And that only creates further disasters when it comes to the emotions and when it comes to the ability to actually help people. Um, people get hurt instead of helped. I love it. I love it. I um, I guess we could talk about whether the barriers for asking that for that help is there, even from seasoned leaders, right? These people, school superintendents don't, aren't just born overnight. I mean, they have got a portfolio of, of stuff before they get hired to, to be a school superintendent. That's and true. So, and they're so, going to have so, a vendors list of type uh, right. types of people that they can, they can turn to. Um, right. But yeah, go into that. But, let's, but let's what, that. but, but what is the barrier to asking for the help? Have you ever heard of an HRO, those, these high resilience organizations? They, uh, it's, it's a thing out there and the, the, the medical folks have kind of picked it up as kind of a, a mantra. And it's really, it sounds really cool. And it's got a, it's got an outline to it. I'm going to narrow down to one of the core tenets, which is called deference to expertise. And these high resilient organizations understand that deferring to expertise is key to, uh, to making, um, uh, the organization works. So if the plumber in an organization is the expert at the time, we listen to the plumber to fix the plumbing problem and we don't override them with our authority. And so I think this, you know, where, where we're talking about is uh, is deferring to expertise. So what are the barriers to that? Um, ego, uh, fear of, uh, of overall impression, um, uh, not being not not being schooled in the art of, of, of managing the narrative. 
I think that that is a core competency that school mm. superintendents far lack is you've got to practice on managing the narrative and managing the people that are naysayers, right? Because you're always going to have critics. Everybody, everybody knows where the ball should have went from the 300 level seats. They all do. Every guy sitting in the 300 level seats goes, why didn't he throw it to him? He's wide open. Well, when you got two 700 pound people laying on your back, it's hard to do, right? Cause you're not in the, you're not in the game. And, and, and so you have to defer to expertise. And I think there's, it, it takes a little bit of courage, a lot of courage. It actually takes a lot of courage. And you got to have a level of self-confidence when you go into these jobs that you can't care what everybody thinks. You just have to right. care about doing the right thing. Absolutely. And and when you bring in an outsider, you you got the pressure of that's your decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you also have to, you know, take the blame, so to speak. Um, if, if people, you know, and, and whether there's something to blame or it's just an audience of people who want to blame you, um, you know, the, any action you take, uh, it unfortunately becomes a political matter, um, you know, more than about the, the good. But as leaders, we have a responsibility to take the heat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. that's the point of being a leader. You don't you don't get to escape that. Um, right. You know, the lives are more important than my position. Um, you know, and maybe that's easier said than done. Um, it is. But uh, I will say as entrepreneurs, we have to face that on a regular basis. Um, so it's not something where I'm unfamiliar with. Um, let's dive into, um, you know, normally we ask about worst case scenarios in business, best case scenarios um, in business. Um, I'm going to change that up a little bit. What is your best experience um, in terms of dealing with um, crisis management? Um, mm-hmm. But but more so, I guess, getting getting helping somebody catch the vision of pulling you in to be involved, um, you know, with the process. What what did that look like? How did that unfold? Well, that's. That's that's actually easy because it's most recent. I could go all the way back through my military time, but most recently, uh, in my community here, um, there's not a lot of me, and so we were highly we were in high demand during COVID. Mm. And and I had a, an inst- I was I was working in an institution that didn't really value infectious disease doctors or emergency managers, even though we were kind of the people that were hired to handle it. So I decided to move on because I felt my skills could be utilized elsewhere. And the people that hired me were our local, our local universities. And they not only did they hire me, but they made me the commander of COVID and they made me the chancellor of COVID. They actually said it out loud. You are the chancellor of COVID and told everybody in this institution, all COVID things run through Dave. Now, I'm going to make you really smile because we're both sports guys. I had to tell the track team that they couldn't compete because they weren't going to be safe where they were going. Now, was I very popular? Oh, I, I highly doubt that. I had I had hurdles and, and I have a feeling your acronym came out a few times. Oh, um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I and I had I had actually very wonderful young people that were that were taking into their hands some action and wanted a, a further explanation, and they got it. But I had a lot of a lot of shot put throwers and pole vaulters and you know and you know 100 meter guys in my office going, "What are you talking about?" Now I had to outline all of this stuff for them. Did they bring the shot putt and did they bring the challenge? well? They 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 brought all of the they brought all of the um, the uh, um, uh, endocrine pieces that make up athletes. They brought it all, so you could uh-huh. you could you could smell the power in the room. And I totally appreciate. You know, I've been to combat and I've led in combat, and I understand that mentality. 
And sometimes we don't have time to do the why, but in this case, I did have time to do the why. And we kind of broke mm. that down and, and, and we got, and we got through that, but I, but I wasn't popular, but the institution navigated COVID for the 13 months that I kind of got them to a point where they could take it on their own. They navigated COVID in a way that our professionals in the community said we were the safest place in the community. And it was because they took their hands off it and let me do it. Mm. And I, and I was across the street from other institutions that that thought that the title on their chest anointed them to be experts in infectious disease and pandemia which quite frankly there was none in the whole world unless you were you know you were 110 years old and you'd lived through the spanish flu and that deference to expertise changed everything for that institution because they took their hands off it and did, was everybody comfortable with it no was there did everybody fall in love with dave no is there still people today that think that i did certain things wrong uh, uh absolutely but there was one leader there's one leader and i can tell you we didn't lose anybody nobody died from covid everybody kept we stayed in school and you know in the in the makeshift way that we did that we kept the school running uh you know we we managed the finances and we only missed one athletic event you know we built safety around the athletic events to do that stuff so i think that uh i think that we did a doggone good job but it's it's an testament to the to the school to bring me in and let me do my work so how did it how did it go about in terms of them finding you hiring you um well, I don't, you know, I'm in Billings, Montana, so it's not a gigantic place. So okay. those, those of us that, uh, that are, you know, active in the community and those type of things, it's pretty easy to get networked. I mean, it's not, you know, yeah. it's not, you know, the, the, the mayor has me in his phone and if he has a question, he calls and, and we have a disaster manager for our county who's a wonderful guy and him and I, you know, we, we work that way. Um, and then that you know some of it's word of mouth but people have to know your body of work too you know and i and i had a body i had a body of work you, you need to know who you're bringing in and and, and what they bring in and uh, it's our responsibility to be a quick study on what makes whatever entity that we're going to work with what makes them run because ultimately you can you can cripple an organization by making two decisions and taking away their economic drivers and those type of things so uh, entrepreneurs, you know, people that run businesses when they, when you have a guy like me in your life or, or school superintendents, you have to make clear up front what your, um, what your priorities are as far as your, your basics, right? What, what, you know, yes. this is, yeah, this is a, this is a, um, um, uh, you know, the, this is when you're activating the plan on here are the core function. Here's the heart and lungs, the brain and the central nervous system that we need to run the body. So please don't disrupt those. But other than that, this is what our desired outcome is. And you got to learn how to move back and forth through that. So it helps you have been mm -hmm. have, have led an executive at an executive level and to be as, as a, a disaster manager because you can have some level of empathy for the person that's that's got to keep the entity going. Absolutely. I love the analogy. Um, very appropriate and uh, also helps that you have that medical experience as well as the mm -hmm. military to understand yeah. that, too, at a, a very deep level. Um, let's go back to the traffic light. Right. You got something, you got a local hazard, um, mm -hmm. maybe a series of speed bumps that you'd like to see put in to protect uh, a neighborhood or it's a, a stop sign, um, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's fallen over, um, needs to get reported. Maybe that's a little mm -hmm. bit simpler. Um, mm -hmm. But even in that situation, like I'd be like, oh, cool, California rule. Um, you know, like I, I won't I won't lie. Like I have my I want to get places to and things. So I don't always think about safety first. Mm hmm. But if I now want to be a little more responsible and figure out what to do there, do you just uh, 
call 211? Do you call 911? Do you post on Twitter about it? What does it look like, Dave? What do we do as citizens? I I will tell you, I've had the most success is just take away my expertise and just make me a citizen. I've had the yeah. most success. Every elected official has an email. They have either have a staff that you can get to or you can get to them directly. And a lot of people think, oh, they won't listen to me or it's not worth writing. If and and I, Jackson, you know, the little bit of time that we spent together, I think that because you're you're successful at what you do, you cannot get away without without wanting real actionable and integral data and it's all there it's really all there and if we get real actionable and integral data don't be throwing variables in there and trying to swing elephants off of cliffs but 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 have have real actionable data and you put that together and then you can draw it to a negative outcome and say here's here's the risk it is really i don't care what who the elected official is i don't care if it's an r a d an l a u an i i don't care what where they're affiliated, if they are truly founded in public health and safety, which is why we elect our officials, that is the first number one thing all the way from the president down to the to the mayor of the smallest town. If they are truly founded in that, and you can build a small coalition to include all of the people that live around this U-turn where you're at, if you build a small coalition of people and you stay on message with good data and you take all the emotion out of it, you'd be surprised how fast things move. Show up, show up at a city council meeting, show up at a, you know, a, a county supervisor's meeting uh, with, a, with a few pictures in your hand and some data and your concern and watch what happens. Stuff happens. Let's talk about that a little bit deeper now. Thank you. Those sure. are, those you are good it. aspects. And let's make sure people understand, um, you know, the, the vernacular. Um, so small coalition. You're referring yeah. to getting some friends, family, neighbors. Is that what you mean by that? Or yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's pretty magical when uh, when you can actually go. Knock how on small? The how big? Um, as big as it needs to be to cover the area of concern. So if you have if you've got 400 people that are affected by this intersection that you that you described, all 400 people need to be given an opportunity to put their voice against it sign on to it, be in an email group. And, and that's just knocking on the doors or doing a small mailer or, or you know, uh, just hanging stuff off of doorknobs and those type of things. Because even if you get 10%, now you have 40 people. And when you have 40 people from an area that is represented by a person, they're, they're automatically awake. Because in these small places, right, these small, whatever, here we have, uh, we have city councilmen, we have uh, uh, five wards in Billings. And so I have, I have two councilmen that represent my ward and I know them both. And one actually lives quite near me. If I come with 40 people in this ward and I say, we're worried about that. It's going to go to the top of the list because that's actually, that's actually enough of a constituency that can shift, um, that can shift votes because a few of these wards in town, the last election, some of those elections were won by two and three votes, literally two and three votes. So that's what usually moves wow. the needle. That that's makes what sense. Usually... Hey, um, and I appreciate that. You went, you went big enough to, to make the needle move, um, you know, and, and therefore you're, the good news is if you need to run a mile and you run three, um, you know, you're, you're without a shadow of a doubt, um, you made it your mile, even if right. you set a goal to run five. Um, sure. You know, there's, there's ways to, to make sure that, that, that you win. Now, you mentioned uh, gathering data. In this type of uh, situation, what do you do? Do you how do you gather the the data? What type of data would you gather? 
Well, it, so we're gonna let, we'll, we'll talk about intersections because we're talking about intersections. Yeah. Actually, you don't have to gather the data. You just need to go get the data that's mandatory to be gathered because you can't every every year your city gathers data on traffic rates with some streets, uh, speed limits. They gather all of that. And and Jackson, the best thing in my job is making people live by their own rules because everything ah. comes to everything comes to <laughs> everything comes to a screeching halt when you go. It's not Dave's idea. It's your rules. And then they, then everybody sits up straight. What rule? You know, and the odds are they haven't really delved into it. And you go, yeah, look, your, your, your metrics moved from here to here in the last two years. And based on your rules, because your metrics are here, you have to do this. You, it requires a speed bump. It requires a um, sprinkler system. It requires city lights. It re Far too often. They, How do you get that data, though? Ask. All you got, everything is FOIA. All, all you got to do ask is ask your go, representative. Just or... go to go to your city or county office, the clerks or the or the administrators, and say, "I want data on on traffic rates in this intersection. I want data on you know. I want to. I want the last ten years of data on the traffic rates on you know for your for your situation. Just ask for the last ten years of data for that street." And then, and then you know because you live there. If any improvements have been done on that, and ask for the accident rates, they have, they have got, they have got an overlay with dots, and they can tell you exactly how many accidents, minor, minor, intermediate, and major accident, major accidents are usually classified with fatality. How many things have been there? And I'll bet you, I bet in a small amount of time, you can say, hey, listen, when we had this much traffic, we had this many accidents. Things have changed, and you've changed nothing, mm. and we're concerned about it. Oh, because, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's you're, you're ultimately, I mean, this is what being a lawyer is kind of like, um, you know, and, and so my question for you, you know, my, my empathetic question for those sure. in my shoes um, is, but Dave, like that sounds hard. Like how, how long, you know, if I'm at the city office, isn't that going to take me, you know, a couple hours um, for them to get that type of data. And I mean, whether it does or not, I think that my, I'll answer my own question. Uh, is I mean, it important to affect the change? Yeah. Right. But, yeah. but go ahead, Dave. What, you yeah, tell I, me. And, and, and you know this because let's do the entrepreneur thing. I can throw two charts in front of you, a Pareto chart and a scatter diagram. And you can already start thinking about the course of your business and, and whether or not the trajectory is right or if it's wrong. Or you're going to stare really hard at it and you're going to go, what is that variable? And somebody has to explain that. You're going to make them explain it to make sure that it's legitimate yeah. data. Once you're comfortable with all of that, you know where you need to go. Right. And and so, and so people that have to make these decisions to fix your turnaround, by the way, the people that have to make these decisions, they can argue with you. They can say it's emotional. They can tell you, I've driven there a thousand times and I've never had a problem. They can say that but they can't argue with the data because inanimate objects you can't fight with. Right. And so you have to give them an inanimate object that compels them because when you put the human in there, they'll just fight you. They'll, you know, and that's, that's when it gets ugly and it's, there's division. Just take the emotion out of it and, and, and build the data. The only, the only thing is, is sometimes you'll get the data and it's not very compelling. And then you go, Oh, well, maybe I, maybe I don't have an argument, but in your situation, I don't think you're going to, you're going to find that. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. 
Oh man, you know, I never, I didn't know that you had that type of uh, of local power in your hands if you're willing to do the work. Um, and so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say this is easy. This doesn't take time, but again, you have to weigh in your own life. Is it is it worth tolerating a potential accident or potential threat, um, mm -hmm. you know, to your family and and to elsewhere, right. or are you going to exercise your civic duty um, and take action, knowing knowing what you you know about the situation? So that was very powerful. Um, get your, you know, explain the risk create a small coalition. In my case, uh, somebody lives in an apartment. Um, I can also take this to the apartment itself, the complex, those who run the apartment complex. I don't have to go distribute those flyers by myself. And if I take them a flyer prepared, I take them the data prepared, I take them the images or video, I guess, a, a mm -hmm. QR code to a video to watch of mm -hmm. a near traffic incident there and just stake out, you know, for a couple hours during traffic, bam, like that would be super easy to catch. Mm -hmm. Now they have all the emotional intelligence as well as the logical mm -hmm. intelligence yeah, to say, right. you know what, we'll, we'll run this for you. Um, you know, we'll send an email out to everybody at least, right? Yeah. That that's that's the type of things that I'm just one person giving one example. I'm the Joe or the John. I'm the John mm -hmm. Doe in this situation. Mm -hmm. um, so anybody can take those types of actions, um, knowing what we now know. So Dave, thank you for uh, for preparing me for my own situation. That's right. Uh, Thank you for uh, yeah. just, I don't know, just un uncovering great leadership too. Honestly, I've never thought about um, presidents of the United States and public officials in the terms of the, that their number one priority is public health and safety. Um, I, I grew up in a very sheltered world. I grew up with health and safety. Um, you know, it's something that, mm -hmm. that uh, I think I get to take for granted, um, you know, yeah. more than other people have had the opportunity to. So I've never looked at leadership from that lens, even though I think it's probably like first thing on, it's obviously first thing on your mind. It's almost instinct for you at this point. So um, you've opened my eyes in a lot of great ways. I'm sure other people listening in have had the same same thing happen. So uh, I just want to thank you for being here with us on Vision Pros, for sharing your vision. If people want to reach out to you, um, they can reach out to you on LinkedIn um, and through your website. Is there any other form of, of outreach that you prefer? No, if you're curious about the, you know, more about me or what I do, uh, the website's great. It's pretty comprehensive. It's all there. Uh, you can buzz through it pretty quick and you can reach out to me and, and schedule some time. It's just, it's just free time to have the same conversation that you, you and I just had. So that's great. All right. Well then in the comments, I'm going to put here, reach out to Dave. I'm going to drop your LinkedIn link. That way people can, can have access to it on there. Yeah. Guys, if you have questions, um, observations, things that you'd like to discuss, scenarios, drop a comment. Uh, let us know. We'll make sure Dave sees that. Um, and uh, if you also want to be on the show, if you got a vision that's important to share, uh, most of the visionaries we host are entrepreneurs, but they're not the only exclusive access to visions in the world. Um, you may have a cause that matters. You may have something that that should be well known and, and uh, you may have a hard time getting that vision out. And if you do, feel free to use our platform. This is all about creating change globally for good. This is about helping others. So Vision Pros, thanks for always tuning in and we look forward to seeing you soon. We will see you on the next episode. Everybody have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for, thank you for being here today.
<laughs> Cynthia and I. My bad, Cynthia. Thank you um, for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have an excellent time building out your vision and becoming a Vision Pro yourself.